think that is a joke, but um, there's sign-ups outside, and during the service, I'd like you to think about what we can do for you starting next Sunday. You know, if you'd like your personal order of Krispy Kreme donuts, which is what I put in for, you know, just, just sign up for that, tickets to the Utes, you know, every home game, that kind of thing, Real Salt Lake, just, um, just think about it and put it up on the sign-up outside, and and we'll make it happen for you. Because we want you to be here. We want you to stay here. And we want more people to come. We've got the white building now. We've got more seats available. And this is how I think we can, uh, we can fill them. We're such a me-centered society. And you know, as a church, we've got to change with society, right? So we've got to tailor to those needs. So think about those um, and put them out in the sign-up after the service. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Could you, could you imagine going to a church like that? Seriously? Do you know what would happen if K2 would operate that way? If we were to operate that way, then Dave and Andy and myself and others that prepare messages, we would talk about very self-centered things. It would be motivational talks, maybe. The Adventure Canyon team wouldn't be playing and loving on your kids right now. Those kids would be sitting in your lap spilling your coffee. And... uh, the Connections team, if they were operating that way about meeting their own needs, they wouldn't show up early. They wouldn't prepare coffee for you. They wouldn't have a smile to greet you with. And the music team, you know what they would do if they were to operate on this premise? They would not be here at 5.30 every Sunday morning. Did you know that they show up here at 5.30 to set up, to practice so that they can help us to, to worship God through music, they wouldn't be here at that time. I guarantee you that. I'd be standing here playing the guitar, and trust me, that wouldn't be pretty. I know how many of you have read The Purpose Driven Life. Who's read it? Probably almost most of us or all of us. Remember what that started with? The first sentence in that book? I know John knows over there. It said, it's not about you. When I read that, I was like, what? What are you talking about? It's not about me? Well, it isn't. It's not about me. And you know what? K2, or church in general, is not about you. And unfortunately, it's not about me either. Actually, thankfully, it's not about me. Church is not about you and me. um, Andy said already, we're in the middle of a series called Get Ready for God to Move. And this concept of me, church... You know what, that would be the perfect recipe for a place where God wouldn't move at all. Not at all. But one way for us to get ready for God to move and to see him do amazing things among us is to learn how to be a team player. And that's, that's the topic for this morning. But before we go into that, I want to review a little bit of what has happened. Because some of you might not have been here the last couple of weeks, some might be here for the first time. So we're looking at the book of Joshua, and the stories that we're looking at right now happened over 3,000 years ago. Um, We're talking about the people of Israel, which was really one huge family. It started with 12 brothers that went to Egypt because there was a famine where they lived, and they moved to Egypt because there was food there, and they grew. 12 brothers and their wives um, grew to over a million people. Now, have you ever had a family reunion? Not that much fun. A million people? I don't know. Anyway, a million people, huge family, and God calls Moses, one of them, 
and says, now I'm ready for you guys to get out of Egypt. They had been enslaved by the Egyptians, made slaves to build their, their country, build homes and palaces and so on. God calls Moses and says, I want you to lead Israel, my people, out of Egypt and into a land that I have promised them. So long story, Moses does it. He, he leads them out of Egypt. And of course, God does, but he uses Moses. And they, they travel through the desert. And maybe we can have this map up that we, um, that we prepared. Because these are real places. Now, who thinks they could, p- they could point out Israel on a world map? Honestly, now, if you hit a world map, who could point to Israel? That's what I thought. Now, who could point to Germany? All right, that's good. All right, this is Israel, not very sharp. Okay, world. America, right? You all know where that is, right? So then, see the zoom right over there on the east side of, of the Mediterranean. Actually, and Germany, well, we'll do that later. All right, now let's zoom in on Israel. Here is Israel, and to the southwest is Egypt. And this, what you see colored there, is the land. And let's keep that up for a little bit is the land that God had promised Israel. So then Moses leads them out, and they come to this land, actually east of Jordan. You see the Dead Sea at the bottom, and they, they are east of, that, of the River Jordan that goes all the way, um, runs from north to south, south of Israel, and they're on the verge of entering the land. And Dave talked about that two weeks ago. God said, I'm going to give you this land. So they sent in spies to say, okay, check out the land. Come back and report to us what it is about. Twelve of them, all but two of them, came back and said, we can't do it. They didn't trust God to lead them into this land. They were afraid because the people there were giants. They looked too mighty to conquer. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, guys, what are you doing? God's promised us this. But the, but the people of Israel believed the ten. And God got so, well, Dave used the word, I, I won't. God got really angry with them. With them. <laughs> really angry and What he did as a result, he said, every man, 20 and older, that's here right now refusing to walk by faith and go into the land will die before I actually let you enter this land. And so for 40 years, he had this, the people of Israel wander through the desert, through the wilderness. And 40 years later, they're at the same spot. They're back and they're ready to go in. And God says, now is the time. Now Moses has died and God replaced him with Joshua, who was kind of his right-hand man. And Joshua told, uh, God told Joshua at that time, and this is what Dave talked about two weeks ago, he says, be strong and courageous. Forty years ago, the people weren't strong and courageous. But you've got to be strong and courageous to lead pe- the people of Israel into this land. And then last week, Andy in here talked about walking in truth and walking in spirit, how God encouraged Joshua, walk in my truth. Believe my word and walk with me. Walk in my spirit. And so now they're here again. They're ready to enter the land. And they have the same decision to make again. We can take the map off. See, this is a real place. This really took place. When we look at these stories, we're not talking about Narnia or Never Never Land. This is a real place. This happened. And this is where we'll pick up the story today. And I want to read to you from Joshua 1, verses 10 through 15. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. 
So three days, and we're going in. But to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, I think that's pronounced, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Actually, can we put that map back up? I'm sorry. See, these three tribes got a special invitation from Joshua. And I thought, oh, what is he talking about here? Why, why do they already have their land? They're just about to go into the land. And what's this command Moses gave them? What's, what's this promise that he's reminding them of? See, we got we to gotta not just rewind for that. We, we kind of got to put the prequel into the player here and go back to Numbers, which is a book a little bit further left in the Bible. Numbers, chapter 32 and 16 we find a story where they, they have come to, to the east side of the Jordan. And you see, well, we can't read it real well. The, there's, these different colors are the different tribes and the land that was assigned to them. And there's three on the right side here that you can see. That's the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I won't bore you with the details of why a half-tribe. But anyway, they came to Moses when they came back to this land and said, Moses... We would kind of like to stay here on the east side. This, this land is perfect for us and our flock. And we, we would like to keep this instead of going into, into, into Canaan on the left side, on the west side of the Jordan. Oh, and boy, did Moses get angry with them. He, he confronts them here in Numbers 32 and says, Guys, we've been here before, 40 years ago, and your fathers... Had did the same thing. They weren't ready to go in. They weren't ready to be obedient and take the land. Are you guys doing this again? Wasn't 40 years in the desert enough? And he was getting really worked up. And then this is what they said to him in Numbers 32, verses 16 and following. So he's just given it to them. And they say, they came up to him and said, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children. But we are ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. We will not receive our inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel, and this land will be your possession before the Lord. So when they asked to stay on the east side, it wasn't out of a lack of faith. It wasn't because they, they didn't want to go in and, and fight those Canaanites. They just thought, this land is perfect for us. I think this is what God's given us, but we're ready to fight with you and for you when it's time to go in. So this, this 
promise is what, what Joshua reminds them of here in Joshua chapter 1. And he finds it necessary to remind them of this promise and this obligation. Because he was there 40 years ago when, when 10 shied away and the whole, the whole people shied away. And you know what? If I'm trying to put myself into the position of these three tribes, they have now in the meantime conquered that land. They have built cities. They have fortified their cities. They, their families are saved. They've done all the work and put all the work in. And now they're, they're settled. I could think of a thousand excuses not to make true on that promise that they gave to Moses. And they could have. They could have not kept their promise. They fought their battles. They've settled their land. They've done it all. Plus, the promise was to Moses. And where's Moses? He's died. So come on, Joshua, lay off. You know, we've done so much. Have you ever made a promise that you rethought later on? Very good reasons, of course. Circumstances change and, you know, I, that really doesn't apply anymore. Have you done that? I know I have. Well, I don't know how many times I promised my kids, I will play with you this afternoon. I'll go take you to the soccer field. And, and then you've had a long work day and you're just really tired and, oh, kiddos, come on. I, it's been a tough day. Can we do this another time? But, but Dad, you promised It is easy sometimes to make promises, isn't it? And it's almost easier to rethink them later. What about commitments that we have made to people? Maybe financial commitments and things change, you know? What about marriage vows? I promised my wife to always honor her. <laughs> I don't think she's here yet, is she? Kenny, don't, Casey, don't say anything. It's my son up here. <laughs> I haven't always honored my wife. I've made promises I haven't kept, and I'm sure so have you. It's easy to make promises. It's easy not to keep them. Those of you that are on the crash, the crash, for those that don't know, is, is our membership. It's, a, it's another level of commitment here at this church, another level of community, really. And when you come on the crash, you sign the crash covenant. Do you remember? I just want to read a few points. Not because you're not keeping them, just as a reminder. Number five is, I will help make this vision, the vision of K2, the vision that God's given to the leadership of K2, I will help make this vision a reality by using the spiritual gifts God has given me for the common good within a K2 ministry team and by being faithful to God with my finances. That's one. Number six is, I will offer myself to others in the context of a small group for encouragement, support, and spiritual growth. Then under number three, you commit to the Pledge of Connection. And these are a couple of points on the Pledge of Connection. Again, just as a reminder, I accept the challenge to give you grace I accept the challenge to cover your back. I accept the challenge of treating you as Jesus treats me. Wow, those are big promises to make. Now, I'm not on the crash yet. I haven't signed this yet. <laughs> um, but what is your response? I just want you to think of that. If, if you have made promises, whether you're on the crash or not, but if you've made promises, commitments, just think about them. Have you... 
Have you followed through on those? And what about those on the crash that have signed these and said, yes, I commit to And it's not like it's a legally binding contract, but you've committed to that before the church, before God. How are you doing with following through on those? Just answer that for yourself. So Joshua rem reminds them, and this is how they answered. We don't have this up on the screen, but this is how the, these three tribes re responded to Joshua's reminder. It says, remember what you promised? And this is what they said. Verses 16, if you want to read along in Joshua 1, verses 16 through 18. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send, send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your word, whatever you may command them will be, will be put to death. Oops. And be strong and courageous again. Be strong and courageous. What a response. Again, I could, I could think of a thousand excuses not to go into battle. But they are committed to what they had premised, promised. They stood by their promise and they were ready to put their lives on the line for their brothers. They were ready to fight for them. And that really is the ultimate team player, isn't it? Somebody that's willing to put everything on the line for others. What does it mean for us here and today at, at K2? What does that mean to put it on the line? And does this really apply to us, this old story here in, in the Old Testament? See, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were God's chosen people. Those were the people that he chose to reveal himself through to the world. Today, we as followers of Christ, those of us that are followers of Christ, have become God's chosen people. We are the people that God wants to reveal himself through to the world around us. They were supposed to work together in unity and as a team. And how are we doing today as a church with this whole concept of team? I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you know, there is no I in team. But you know what there is? There is an M and an E. <laughs> they're kind of hidden away. It's kind of deceiving. But they're there. And we often put that in the center. How do we do? How do I do, I ask myself, in the area of really sacrificing for others? And what does that mean? Fighting for each other. Do we have that kind of commitment to each other? If I look at these, this pledge of connection and the covenant for the crash, I think, yes, we have it in writing. I haven't been here long enough to really tell you th this is what it is. On staff, I feel that kind of connection. I don't know how you feel. Is it, is it there? Is that the culture of K2 that we put it on the line for each other? Why do we come here on Sunday morning? To be comfortable and listen to an inspiring sermon. Okay, comfortable doesn't apply to these chairs. I know, I'm sorry. So that's, that's the white building. Those are comfy. But uh, what do we come for? And don't we all want to be on a team? Don't we all want to belong to a team that has a common purpose and a goal? I mean, who doesn't want to be on that kind of team? And don't we all want people by our side that have our backs, that do fight for us? 
There's one thing that jumped out of me in this passage in Joshua only when I read it, maybe for the 10th time. Do you ever have that? You read a passage, you read a passage, and you read it again, and all of a sudden it's like, where did that come from? Well, I had that kind of moment here in chapter, in this chapter, in verse 14, when, when um, Joshua reminds them, and he says to them, but all your fighting men, fully armed, again, he's talking to these three tribes, must cross over ahead of your brothers. I was like, what? Not just with your brothers? Ahead of them. And I thought, wow, that's the most dangerous place to go, is to be the first to cross the Jordan, the first to go into that enemy land. They really put it on the line for the others. They didn't just have their backs. They had their fronts. And that's the most dangerous side to have. Who wants people like that on their side? Who wants people like that in this church on their side that have your front and your side and your back and they're willing to fight your battles with and for you? Who wants them? Now, who wants to be that person for the one sitting next to you? Awesome. Awesome. Because, you know, we can't have somebody like that if somebody next to us isn't willing to be that person. that fights for you, that has your back? Will you be that person and will I? Now, practically, what does that mean? It's easy to, yeah, I got your back. I got your back. But what does it really mean practically? Are we really willing to join ranks with those around us in the middle of, of their struggle? Romans twelve fifteen calls us to, can we put that up? Calls us to, Rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Do we have that kind of connection with each other that somebody's misery is my misery and somebody's success and joy is my joy without envy? Do we have that? What about the people around us that go unemployed? And I know there's people around us who just recently got laid off out of the blue. I couldn't possibly imagine coming here tomorrow morning. No, tomorrow's my day off. On Tuesday morning, and Eric handing me my papers and said, sorry, giving's down, can't, can't. I, I can't, I can't fathom what that would be like to come home and say, honey, I got no job. I don't know, how, what, I don't know what we're going to do. I know many of you can't identify with that. I, I can't imagine But I wish there'd be people around me that would catch me, that would come around and go before me, and beside me, and behind me, and pray for me, help out where they can. And we got those that are, that are lonely among us. We got people that have been left. We got people that never had anybody to leave them. We got loneliness all around us, and maybe that's you. Are we willing to come alongside the lonely to to be the listening ear, to take the time it takes to come along, to be that shoulder to cry on? The sick, are we willing to take the time to go visit them, to care for them, to encourage them, to pray for them? And here comes one that's really, well, they're all important, but Andy talked about the South Campus. That is such a parallel to what we're reading here today. You know, we could say we're here 
that's South thing. That's Andy's deal. You know, him and his crew, they, they got that covered. You know, let, let them go south and have it. You know, we just busted our tails. Now, I haven't. You have. You know, getting that white building ready, and we got comfy chairs in here, and we're settled, just like those three tribes. They were done on the east side. We're done on the north, aren't we? It's great. We got it. Let Andy cross the Jordan, uh, go to South Jordan. You know? <laughs> hey, that's us going south. Are we willing, even though, oh, we did this, it's done. Are we willing to say, okay, we won't rest until they're there and we're willing to put it on the line and go south before them and then we can come back and enjoy this? Are we willing to do that? To be that one body? Do you know what? One thing I don't want is you walking out of here today thinking, oh, I haven't done this and I haven't done this and I'm so terrible and guilty. I don't want that. You know, because God could have given them Israel. He could have given Israel this land without those three. He could have done it without Gad and the Reubenites and Manasseh. He could have just brought the other nine in and just cleared the land for them and done it for them. Could he have done it without them? Absolutely. Do you know why I think he didn't? Because he didn't want Reuben and Gad and Manasseh to miss out on the blessing that it would be to see them used by God in a mighty way and to see God do amazing things. Because that's what happens when we get comfortable. We miss out on those blessings. And that's what's really important to me today is that getting on a team and being a team player and putting it on the line it's not about doing, doing, doing. It's about receiving the blessing of God and seeing God move in amazing ways and using us in the process. And let me tell you this. You have a unique contribution to make. No matter what your gifts are, no matter how God has given you, and I'm not necessarily just talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about abilities that God has given you. You know, I am not a handyman. And John here can attest to that. <laughs> but God gave us a house here that um, I thought we could pretty much move in quickly and just patch up a thi few things here and there. Oh, boy. <laughs> John is laughing up here. He's like, yeah, right. Totally out of my comfort zone. I can't do it. I'm not handyman. And every day we find things that are just out of control. And I couldn't do it. I was so overwhelmed, I tell you. So overwhelmed. And guys from this church, and John's going to kick me for it afterwards, but John's one of them, came alongside us and said, let us help you here. Let us help you. And he's been kicking it out at my house. And that is church, you know that? That is church, coming alongside, serving one another. That is church. And I want to encourage you, to not be a spectator in church. Be a team member. Be a participant. And if you're new to this church and just checking this out, don't worry about it yet. <laughs> we want you to, or we, we want to be that kind of team to you that just welcomes you in and loves on you and accepts you and encourages you. And we want to have your back and want to pave the way for you to experience God here. And if you've been here for a while, maybe you've come and visited and just don't feel you've been in 
you've been let in on the team, you've been accepted and encouraged, and you know what? Then I want to apologize to you because then we failed you. But I also want to let you know that for this church to come around you and to come alongside you and before you and behind you, to mourn with you and to rejoice with you, you've got to let us in. You've got to let us into your life. I want to compare it to this. If you, if you only come for Sunday morning, you listen, and it's interesting, and, and you go back home, and that's all your involvement is at K2, then it's like a football player that comes into the locker room for the prep talk, the pregame prep talk, gets all fired up, and, and then when it gets time to get out on the field, he, you just kind of stay there, or you go home and have lunch. It might have been a great talk, Maybe not this morning, but it might have been a great prep talk. But then you, go and you don't go and, and play. Now, I used to play soccer. And I can't imagine going into the locker room and then not going out and, and just, just leave it all out there. So I just want to encourage you to step out of that locker room. And I know that can take, it can be quite a hurdle. Get out of that locker room. And you know what? The best thing is, I used to hate sitting on the bench. <laughs> if you're an athlete, you don't want to sit on the bench. And you know what? On God's team and at K2, there is no second stringers or third stringers or fourth stringers. There's nobody that, okay, that guy's tired. Now, come on, let's see what you can do. Get off and get out there. That doesn't exist on God's team. He's got more than 11 spots on the team. You know, just like football doesn't take place in the locker room, church doesn't take place at church. Church takes place out there. This is just a small part of it. And you know, when I say God doesn't have a bench, there is a bench on God's team. But you know what? That's for rest. Because there are some of us that just right now don't have anything to give. They're so exhausted and they've left it all out there. All it's, it's all been taken from them. And I want you to know there is, there is a bench to rest on and for the rest of the team to come around and allow you to rest. And, and then when you're rested, like these three tribes, it actually says, now you've rested, now let's go and kick it out again. And you're rested, you can come back and join. Do you know what? All of that, like I said earlier, it can only happen in community. It can only happen if we know each other. How can I meet someone's need if I don't know it? And you know, we were created for community in the very beginning when God created Adam. He said, everything else, when he finished, says, it's good. You know what he said when he was done with Adam? Mm, not so good. Not so good. And then he came up with Eve. Yeah. And he said, now it's good. Because they completed, from the beginning, we weren't meant to be alone. We were meant to be together. The Trinity, God, God. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, I don't understand it all, but it's perfect community. And that's how we were created, to live in community. When I used to teach at a Bible school, I taught a series on what was called the one another verses. There's 15 things in the New Testament that are repeated over and over and over again, and it all has to do with one another. Love one another, be devoted to one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, agree with one another, serve one another, be patient with one another, be kind and compassionate with one another, submit to one another, bear with one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, do not slander one another, offer hospitality to one another, have fellowship with one another. 
Love one another is like all the time. And then they have one weird one I didn't put in here, like greet each other with a holy kiss and stuff. It's like, okay, we skip that one. But we're supposed to do things with each other and to and for one another. Now, nobody wants to be part of an organization, I think, where everyone just thinks about themselves. Would you? Do you want to be part of a team where everybody thinks about themselves? But everyone wants and needs their needs to be met, don't we? Do you know the only way that can happen is in a community where people consider the needs of others as more important than their own? Then we can think about others, but people's needs will be met. I found an interesting stat. Actually, I think Dave Elzog shared this with me. 90% of people choose the church, you know, for what? The senior pastor or the main teaching pastor. 90% of people choose a church because of the main teaching pastor. 70% of people stay in a church. Why? Because they've become an integral part of a team. They're connected. When I was preparing the sermon, I was sitting at Coffee Connection over on State Street. And, uh, and sometimes you just hit this spot where you just don't know... Ah, What's next? How, how, how am I going to go with this? And every time that happens to me, you know, I'm tempted to go to ESPN.com. <laughs> so I'm just, oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, let's check ESPN. Like, twice I fought off the urge. <laughs> the third time, I couldn't. Went to ESPN.com, and Rick Riley, great sports writer, my favorite sports writer in the world, he used to write the last page of Sports Illustrated, a column on there. Anyway, he writes for ESPN.com, and right on the front page was an article by him saying, how much do you love your team? And I was like, all right, nice. Let's have a look at that. Preaching on team and so on. So I came across this story on ESPN.com, and I want to read a small part of that to you. And um, here's the guy on the picture um, that, that this story is about. His name is Trevor Weicker. He's a 6'3", 280-pound starting right guard for Division II Mesa State College in Grand Junction, Colorado. Do we have that picture? Anyway, how much do you love your team is, a, is the, the heading for the story. And I want to read a little bit of this to you. During practice, Weicker uh, from Colorado caught his pinky on a linebacker's jersey during a sweep play. When he looked down, he happened to notice his bone was sticking out of his skin. Just tape it up, he told the trainer. We got practice to finish. Instead, they sent him to the hospital where the doctors told him they'd need to insert pins and reconstruct the ligaments. It needed at least four months to heal. He'd be done for the season. No way, Trevor said. This is my senior year. We've got to make this work. We can't, the doctor said. Or we can, insisted Trevor. We can cut it off. Cut it off? To somebody to tell you you've played your last game of football. This is what Weicker said about this. To have somebody tell you you've played your last game of football just wasn't, I just wasn't to go let that happen, Trevor explains. I couldn't do that to my teammates, I would take a bullet for those guys. Or a bone saw. <laughs> Two days later, he was ready to play against Colorado School of Mines. And how do his teammates feel about his sacrifice? They hate him for it, especially the ones who have missed games with injuries this season. Thanks a lot for making us look like wussies, one said to them. <laughs> this is my favorite part. The rest of the team just kid. When Trevor does something good now, they just hold up their hands and holler, high four! <laughs> And this is what his fiancée said. Of all the body parts he could have taken off, says Trevor's fiancée, 
That one wasn't so bad. <laughs> but you know what? The question was, how much do you love your team? He loved his team so much, he wasn't going to miss the rest of the season. He says, I couldn't let, do that to them. I couldn't let them down. <laughs> he cuts his pinky off. Isn't that amazing? But you know, the real important question is not how much do you love a football team? The question is how much do you love your church? How much do you love the community you have here? How much do you love the people around them? And even more important, is how much do you love Christ? Because that's what we are. We're the body of Christ. How much do you love Christ? And what would that lead you to do and to give up to not miss out on the blessing that God has for you and again I know that there are stages in life when you don't have anything else to give and that's okay that's when we as a team want to be around you and stand in the gap for you and then later on it might be your turn to stand in the gap for me or for others You know, that, I think that's also what this story illustrates. These Old Testament stories are often illustrations of spiritual truth for us. These three tribes have had time to rest. They've rested, and now God says, it's your time to stand in the gap for your brothers until the land is all theirs. So do you need your burden shared? Do you need to be encouraged? Do you need to be loved? Do you need to be accepted? Do you need to be prayed for? Do you need someone to fight for you? And then are you willing to share others' burdens? Are you willing to love on those around you? Are you willing to accept those that are different from you? Are you willing to encourage the discouraged? Are you willing to intercede for others in prayer? Are you willing to fight someone else's fight? As the worship team comes up, I... I want to thank those that are, that are here and serve on a team at K2. And I just want to say thank you to you for those that just kick it out week in and week out because you make K2 a better place. You make K2 a place that others can feel welcome and encouraged. And just like those three tri tribes, you're willing to put things on the line. And some of you I know have given a spiritual pinky already. Maybe even more. Maybe you've given even more than that. But like this football player, you're not willing to sit on the sideline. You're not content with being a spectator. Staying in the locker room isn't an option for you. But also to those, again, that, that come Sunday mornings and that's, that's your commitment to K2, I just want you to know we love you coming on Sunday morning. We want you to continue coming on Sunday morning. There's no obligation on you at all our doors are open to you and we we just want you to come and experience the fullness of this community and in my life I can tell you it's it's always better to be on a team than not to be on a team it's fun and it's challenging and it's rewarding but most of all it is what God wants us to do so if we as a church are going to be ready for God to move in this valley we got to join in the spirit of these three tribes. And just like they said, we must go. We must go.